But first, a Waitangi tribunal into who has authority over how Kopapa Māori schools are run was held in Tamaki Makoto this week. The urgent claim is brought by Turungana Nui, the body which oversees Kura Kopapa Māori. Pōkiri Paiwai was at the hearing at Huani Waititi Marae. The tribunal panel was welcomed with a porphyry from current and former students of Te Kura Kopapa Māori or Huani Waititi Marae the first Kurokopapa Māori, which opened in 1985. And inside the Wharenui Ngātū Manako, the tribunal heard of the hopes for the future of the schools. The hearing was heard entirely in Te Reo Māori, and this will be the Waitangi Tribunal's first report written mostly in Te Reo. Lead claimant Dr Cathy Dews says the claim is about who has the authority over how Te Reo is taught and learned. Here, she says the Crown and the Ministry of Education need to understand the benefits of Kurakopapa. Me marama pai te tāhuhu, te karauna, ki te ātāhua o tēnei kaupapa. Te Kurakopapa Māori ahomatua, me tōna pai me te nui o ngā hua ka puta. Co-chair of Te Runanga Nui, Rawiri Wright, tells the tribunal that those benefits go beyond revitalising the language and have flow-on effects for all things Māori. He says these benefits won't be gained from mainstream education. Ai, ko te reo, he mea nui, engari, kei te kororo mātou mō te oranga, tonuitanga o te ao Māori. Mā te aha, kā re e kapiana i roto i ngā kura ātauiwi. E, whakatutukiana i roto i ngā kura kaupapa Māori ahumatua. Kathy Jews says while government is a treaty partner, authority over Māori education should be in the hands of those who have experience teaching it. Tuku mai te tino rangatiratanga mana whakahaere o tēnei kaupapa, ko rātou te hoa tiriti, ko rātou te kāwanatanga nuiho. Engari ko te mana whakahaere, me tuku mai kia mātou. Kathy Jews is one of the founders of Kurakopapa, and along with Peter Sharples, Dame Katarina Teheiko Komataira and others created Te Ahomatua. Te Ahomatua is the foundation document for Kurakopapa and the philosophical base for the curriculum. Kathy Jews tells the tribunal that the Crown lacks the understanding to run Kurakopapa effectively. Ma ke te kaupapa Māori e whakahaere. Rawiri Wright says for a long time the Crown has tried to assimilate Kurakopapa into the mainstream. He tells the tribunal that the Crown lacks the authority to force Kurakopapa to conform. E hara i a rātou te mana ki te tohu tohu mai ki te ao Māori me pēnei me pēna me pēra mo te āhuatanga o ngā kaupapa hei whakākoatu ki ngā tamariki. The Runanga Nui is seeking the Waitangi Tribunal's intervention to ensure that Kura Kaupapa Māori can continue to express 
their tino rangatira tanga. The first stage of the hearing is set down for the next two days at Hawani Waititi Marae in West Auckland, with further hearings planned over the next month. Ngāti Kahanunu is partnering with the government to give Māori and community groups more sane decisions about uplifting children. The Iwi's Health and Wellbeing Advisory Group, Te Tumu Whakahaere o Te Wero, along with Orana Tamariki, have launched a new pilot programme called Tiara Matua. It aims to use early intervention to limit the need for Orana Tamariki to get involved. Aota Matua Māori Kaire Puata, Kate Green, was at the launch. This woman received a call three years ago to say her niece's baby was going to be taken from his parents in an emergency uplift. Because I'm very aware of the challenges my family face and my extended whānau face. I'm one of the few within my whānau who has educated and put herself around people that allow me to under understand some of the issues that families go through. Before I moved out of Gisborne, I left my name with Oranga Tamariki and said, if my whānau ever come up on your books, contact me. The Pepe was born to teenage parents, both users of methamphetamine, and if he couldn't be placed with whānau, he was going to be taken into care. Oranga Tamariki asked if she would take him, and of course she said yes. Against advice, she visited the family and explained what was going to happen, introducing herself as nanny. Certainly from a whānau perspective, when you have that person within the whānau who is able to um, encourage and just build and work through the tough stuff, I've worked through some tough stuff with the family, but what I've reassured them is baby has no idea about any of that tough stuff. All he knows is that he is absolutely loved. Today his parents are both clean, although no longer together. Pepe spends his time with his mother, his nanny, and is able to visit his father. This is the ethos on which Te Aramatua is built. The prototype is based on the findings of the Kōrero Mai Whānau report from 2019, prompted by the controversial uplift of a newborn baby, where Fano shared their experiences of maintaining a Fano and interacting with the state. Minister for Children Calvin Davis announced the programme at Waipatu Marae in Hawke's Bay today. He says he's always believed Māori know what's best for their mokopuna. What we've seen here is the development, I guess, of a, a kaupapa that will enable us to go full circle from what happened here in 2019, where Oranga Tamariki sort of assumed control of the life of a, a young person, and now what we're seeing here is a kaupapa that's been established by Iwi. He says this is a chance for the Crown to step back and support communities to do things themselves. If the government of the time had listened back in the 1970s and 1980s, we probably wouldn't be in the situation uh, that we've been in for the last four or five years. Baden Barber, chair of Ngāti Kahungunu, says the new scheme is built on Māori tikanga to provide early support for families. We as a people are, are responsible for our children. Our parents whānau, and then it comes out hapu iwi. Um, the government, I mean, they have a role, but, uh, but we, we need to bring it back to, to, its, to its source, which is, which is us. The plan is another step forward in fulfilling the promise that Iwi made in 2019. Not one more child without us. E 
are mai o Koto Taranga Kita Waunui. You're listening to Te Waunui, a wrap of the week from our Māori news team here on RNZ National. Ko Ashley McCall Tene. The impact of forestry on Indigenous peoples has been discussed at a UN meeting after slash was strewn across Tairawhiti during Cyclone Gabriel. Māori leaders were among dozens of global communities to speak at the UN Forum on Indigenous Issues in New York in the hope of influencing the government to revive stored policies for Indigenous rights. Here's my report from the meetings which wrapped up on Friday. For two weeks, the world's Indigenous peoples have taken the floor, sharing experiences of their treatment at the hands of the world's governments. Indigenous Canadians spoke of mass graves discovered at former government schools, and the Sami talked about being shut out of climate talks concerning the Arctic. From Aotearoa, Manatai Aotearapiti's Renee Aroa called for an investigation into what forestry has done to whenua Māori. In recent years, our territories have been repeatedly devastated by cyclones and floods, choking our waterways and coastlines with thick sediment and woody debris from clearfell plantation harvests. Renee Daroa spoke of how government land policy has put tangata whenua in this position. She said Māori are locked into harmful land agreements such as perpetual leases or restrictions of ahu whenua. Māori landowners need to be given the opportunity to make land use decisions that are in alignment with their responsibilities as kaitiaki. And currently, they can't do that because the economic drivers, value of pine forestry, pine for carbon credits, um, and even farming over Indigenous forests and land use practices that are more in alignment um, isn't an option. She said Indigenous groups from around the world have similar experiences, including being shut out of conversations and states moving them without consultation or at the barrel of a gun. What they said was that the impacts of climate change mean that they're having to consider whether or not to continue their genealogical lines. Like, that's heartbreaking. A Taranaki leader, Benita Bigham, said Indigenous peoples are being criminalised for practising their culture. She pointed to Māori practice around tohora, or carvings that could be confiscated at the border, such as under the site's law. The great injustice is that Indigenous people have not caused these problems these laws and conventions have been designed to address, yet we have the most to lose. Our peoples were not the ones whose whaling and fishing practices and over-exploitation led to species decimation. A professor in constitutional law, Claire Charters, says the annual UN Forum for Indigenous Issues is one of the few outlets Indigenous peoples have to air their grievances. She says one of its key influences is the ability to put things in the spotlight. Highlighting these questions or these um, criticising, I guess, the government in these forums can be quite effective. They're not often... Uh, the main catalyst while the government would respond to one of these issues, but it's one of many pressure points. Claire Charters says one of the issues raised was the government pausing progress on the Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, which New Zealand was one of the last countries in the world to sign. The justification that the government has given is that the process took too long and there wasn't time for public engagement afterwards. But from our perspective, the government's unwillingness to accept the obligations in the declaration, you know, we're worried that the reasons are actually more political. Claire Charters thinks the next steps should include appealing to the international human rights or international political forums to seek changes for Indigenous people. Let's hear more on this now. 
A Māori News editor, Jamie Tahana, caught up with Claire Charters after she returned from the UN Forum on Indigenous Issues. He asked her why it's important to go. I went there for two reasons. One was to uh, highlight on behalf of the Human Rights Commission climate change issues that are coming out of um, Gabriel, and secondly, a couple of human rights issues that are, that are very live. So one of them is the, the stalling of the National Plan of Action on the Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. Another is tabling um, the Maranga Mai report that Tina Nutter and, and others uh, presented. And the third one was around um, the claim on case um, brought by Wairarapa Moana around the Parliament's legislative override um, of a Supreme Court decision uh, recently in December. And what's the purpose of bringing those things to that UN forum? What, what does it do for Māori and, I guess, yeah. world's Indigenous yeah. people? So it is one of the pressure points to put on government um, to respond to those issues. New Zealand takes pretty seriously its international reputation and does put itself out there as a leader on Indigenous people's rights. So highlighting these questions or, or these um, criticising, I guess, the government in these forum can be quite effective. They're not often the main catalyst while the government would respond to one of these issues, but it's one of many pressure points. Um, secondly, it's about highlighting this kaupapa for the Indigenous movement more globally. Indigenous are there in great numbers and working together on our relevant human rights. And then I guess thirdly there is the objective of influencing international law and policy which is a kind of a longer term kind of objective where um, you're hoping for change in international law that in, in time uh, will become binding or at least influential on the government, which might mean it takes a different approach to, say, to Tiriti or Waitangi obligations or to Hefakaputanga. You know, often international bodies are looking for examples of what's happening um, in various states. Um, and the government, when it's trying to influence policy, will say everything looks quite rosy and look at us for good practices. So it is quite important to uh, balance out that. Um, it all coming from, from government. Yeah, and bringing the progress on the government's work on yeah. the Declaration of the Rights yes. of the Indigenous People, as, as we know, has been stalled. New Zealand was already one of the last to recognise it. Yes. So by bringing it back, what are you hoping to do with that? I guess the main point is... is to say that these issues shouldn't be stalled or the progress for the National Plan of Action shouldn't be stalled. Um, the government's justified um, the stalling, which was a unilateral decision, um, despite working in partnership up until then with the Human Rights Commission and National Iwi Chairs Forum. But the justification that the government has given is that um, the process took too long and there wasn't time for public engagement afterwards. But the reason why there was a lag in time was, uh, from our perspective, the government's unwillingness to accept the obligations in the declaration. Um, and so you know, we're worried that the, the reasons are actually more political, and we just don't think that any rights, human rights, Indigenous peoples' rights, should be subject to political mood of the day. In fact, that's why they're called rights, because they're not subject to political will. Yeah, because I'm just thinking, like, take Sami as yeah. just one example, yes. you know, 
it's across several yes, countries. Right. So how does it afford, say, you know, a united Sami voice, yeah. just for that one example? Yeah, yeah no, no, absolutely gives them an opportunity to speak as Sami beyond, as you say, the sort of arbitrary borders, um, you know, state imposed borders so around issues that climate change which don't have borders and particularly not in the in the north in the arctic circle right so absolutely it, it gives opportunities for unified voice within peoples that are separated but it gives the movement a voice you know so around making the point that a lot of carbon in fact as as i understand it in, in tropical forests one fifth of that is in indigenous territories and you could arguably that's the case here in Aotearoa where there's, where there's reserves um, in our waters or underneath our waters and in, in the ocean bed, in the seabed. So finding that synergy in response to how climate change law should respect Indigenous people's rights is, is something that we can do in these, in these forums. And, you know, there's, that, there's always that kind of divide and rule um, concept going on. If you divide and, and you weaken our voices if we're just speaking internationally, uh, sorry, in, in our national context, but it's very powerful to have all those voices speak um, in a united way. Clear charters there. A Waikato hapu has described a sense of healing after it opened the upgraded Angirere Pa trenches to public tours this week. This past week marked 160 years since the government ordered troops to invade the Pa on the banks of the Waikato River in one of the fiercest battles of the New Zealand wars. Brad Tōtōrewa, the chair of Te Rungana o Ngāti Ngāho, said about 100 people braved the rain to join the tours. Yeah, we had what we deemed to be reenactments of what it would have been like um, walking through the trenches that particular time. So we had about 50 children in the trenches. Uh, we had um, wahine standing at significant points within the, the trenches that we were doing the karanga, and we also had a kūkawa that would lead them through. So those are three significant parts. They gave a, an insight, a glimpse into what it could possibly have been like then. So what was the turnout like? Well, it was really wet <laughs> and raining. We had designated um, 100 people, 100 people per tour, irrespective of the rain. So the turnout was great, tour-wise. And now they came in, they did their tour, and then they um, stayed around for kai and then departed. All in all, it was a great day. I mean, there were a lot of tears shed for not only Maori people but non-Maori at that. Can you explain more about the delay and what caused the de- delay in the first place? So we had to comply with nine conditions. I mean, it goes right back to the building of the uh, of the site itself. It cost us $3 million to build PGF funds, and we've been running uh, alternative, not tours. I mean, it's difficult to place this actual, this actual kaupapa inside a tourism context because in the general public, it's a tourism venture, but to us, us it's more than a tourism venture. So it's all based on operationalising our business. So it refers to when we operate between 9 and 3 p.m., how many tours we can do a day, that's three. Managing traffic, decibel, you know, noise levels. It's pretty, it's pretty interesting. The noise level says that um, actually we can't exceed 50 decibels. Now, to put that into context, an alarm clock is louder than 50 decibels. Part and parcel of our of our um, tourism experience is haka. It's funny because I did say to the council, 
that the cows moo louder than us doing the haka. But it's, it is what it is. But we look at it as an educational tool. This is what this is, an educational tool to educate the uneducated around the New Zealand Waikato invasion. And it allows us an opportunity to articulate our narratives, our historical narratives to the wider public. What are some of the history behind the trenches? If you didn't know, women and children built these trenches. They stand at its highest point, five point eight metres high. We have replicated 130 metres of the original trenches. Now, 5.8 metres high is quite significant because our ancestors had to dig 5.8 metres deep. The construction of the trenches was based on the migration of eel. So it's philosophy, it's hiding places, it's gun pits, it's traps are all centred around migration of eels. Um, there's one significant part that these particular trenches rest on the banks of a significant lake, whose its original name was Karaka, but now it's called Kopuera. Kopuera means to be under fire, and the story is there that the decision was made by our ancestors to have the women and children leave. They departed and escaped through the night under fire. And this lake is now a mass grave of for more than 100 women and children. And, and these are the devastating stories that aren't told. And we take the opportunity to deliver that. That's Nati Naho's Brad Totoreba. That's Tawanui for this week. You can find all our Māori news stories on our website, rnz.co.nz, under the Tiao Māori section. But for now, thanks for joining us. Ko Ashley McCall Tene, Noho Oramai, Tina Koto Katoa.